0: I do it for the emails that I get from people who say, I read this and I booked my first trip in seven years since I became disabled based on your review. And that honestly makes me cry. I'm like, that is it.
1: Welcome to Invisible Not Broken. Today, we're talking about all things travel. Our host, Monica, is joined by Carrie Ann, a disabled travel blogger who shares her experiences, tips, and much more.
2: You run an incredible travel blog, and I've just started becoming so much more dependent on my wheelchair. And that makes me really mark on how do you travel with a wheelchair? I want to talk to you about how you had to switch With COVID and how everything had to change a little bit for you and trying to make sure people keep their distance and the mental gymnastics you have to do in a wheelchair of how do I know that
0: someone's going to be over there or not walk into my lap? I found myself with this kind of extra sense now. I can be going down the street and I'll almost know those people at the other end of the street, whether or not they're going to move. I'll be able to tell from how they're behaving. What have you found to be the most accessible city you've traveled to? Barcelona. That question it does get held up quite a lot within in circles as one of the most successful cities in the world I kind of knew this when I was traveling there but I also just really wanted to go there we know it's going to be accessible enough so let's just go and see what we find and actually just found that all of those things that you have to plan usually like how can I find a restaurant that I can get through the door of how can I find transport to get me to the beach they were just all accessible even the tiniest little old tapas bar that we went in That I was like okay I need to go to the toilet and there is no way there's gonna be an accessible toilet in this place and they were like oh no I'm sorry the toilet's upstairs I was like, okay figures you know we'll work something out oh no there's there's an elevator at the back of the restaurant and I was like are you kidding him Like this ancient. right,
2: there brings a really important point because this is the big argument against making places accessible, is that it's old. We would be ruining the architecture if we made it accessible. I was in Paris
0: a few years ago and that idea of the only way to get to a bathroom was down three flights of stairs. I do not take that excuse that we can't adapt because we have an old building or whatever, because I've seen it done. We have what we call listed buildings here in the UK. So that's when they're of a particular age, that they're protected by government legislation. I say, oh, no, we're listed, so we can't have a ramp, have a lift installed. But the Houses of Parliament is one of the most important buildings in this country, one of the oldest, and it's accessible. And it has accessible toilets, it has larger changing places, toilets, it has lifts. It's such a good point. It's the argument I get into with
2: temporarily abled people a lot, which is but it would ruin the architecture. If you had Notre Dame and like you made it accessible, it would ruin everything. I've actually gotten into these conversations with temporarily abled people who get very passionate about maintaining the architecture to the exclusion of people who are not temporarily able.
0: It doesn't have to ruin the architecture. It can be done in a really beautiful intensity way and in keeping the There's a building that I've been to a couple of times in Westminster in London. It's a conference venue, but it's also the Institute of Civil Engineers. So you'd hope that they'd do something special (laughs) with accessibility. And you pull up outside this building and it's the big, grand wide stairs to the door. And you think, how is there a side entrance or something? How am I getting in here? And the stairs actually sort of sliding on each other at one side to reveal a platform lift that takes you up.
2: I got so excited. You scared me for a minute because I thought it's like one of those designs that like, I see temporarily able people put up stairs, but there's the ramp that is in- integrated into the stairs. Or they'd put
0: the stairs in so it was in keeping. It was just really cool.
2: Even here in the Bay Area in California is not like that. I couldn't have that kind of access even in a metropolitan area
0: it is, is a very good legacy from when barcelona hosted the olympics and paralympics
2: that's such an interesting if they host the paralympics then of course you have to
0: consider a whole bunch of disabilities you know london put in a lot of temporary accessible infrastructure for 2012 mm-hmm. but it was temporary and a lot of it went away again afterwards Barcelona clearly adapted and did it well. If you have a conversation with any kind of travel blogger in this field, they'll tell you that Barcelona is really held up as the place where we go.
2: Whenever you're going somewhere new, how do you scope it out before you go?
0: So I have cerebral palsy. I use a wheelchair full time outside of the house, inside of the house. In terms of traveling, I use a wheelchair full time. I have a manual chair that I sometimes use a power add-on with depending on where I'm going, what the terrain's like, all of that sort of thing. In terms of scoping out, I've written on this quite extensively. I have what I call a wheelchair accessible travel survival guide. That talks through what I do, my process of organising travel. Now, I'm not saying that this is the definitive guide for everybody, but it's just my personal process. And I thought, you know what, I might as well document it. It might help other people. I try to start by purely about where I want to go without thinking about accessibility at all. You know, just take that completely out of the equation. If I could go anywhere, where would it be? Because I think there's a danger that we get so anxious and het up about accessibility and about, well, what's it going to be like away from home? And that is understandable. But that means that sometimes we can compromise on what we actually want out of a trip. That ends up not being a priority because the priority is on the wheelchair access and they're getting it right. Of course, that is important. We can't go places that aren't accessible. I just kind of think... Why do I want to travel? What am I actually going to get out of this trip? I just spend a long time on the internet. It might be just Google searching. It might be using specialist Facebook groups that are about accessible travel. My day job usually in non-pandemic time is working for a company called Fable. They're a national disability organisation in the UK and their access guides for UK travel is what I use to research because they are the most detailed pieces of information. So they'll go around... Any kind of building that the public might visit. So it's not limited to travel or or tourism, hotels, hospitals, universities, shops. They actually have somebody visit every single place and record down to the detail of exactly how wide the door is, how steep the ramp is, what the lighting levels are like, what the background noise is like, that sort of thing.
2: I want that so bad here. Our ADA is such a laughable thing. It's such a guide of suggestions with almost no teeth
0: absolutely and that's what we find with the law in the uk as well and the thing is that everybody's different what i need in an accessible accommodation might be really different to what you need and yet we both use a wheelchair that's without thinking about other impairments people with visual impairments people with hearing loss but if anybody wants to have a look at uk access information it's accessable.co.uk I'm hoping there's some way to make a branch of that in other countries. We get asked when we're going to go international and answer is always, we've still got so much work to do in the UK. Feel right to kind of move on to other places without having smashed our job here.
2: When there's something like that, there's passionate people in other countries that can take a really close look at what
0: you're doing and then create their own in that space. space. I research using resources like that and I'll start Probably looking at accommodation first, because I figure if I've got that nailed down, the other bits can be added on quite easily. Now, how do you find good accommodation for wheelchair at a good price? In recent years, I've tended more towards self-catering accommodation, so apartments and that sort of thing, because I find that's just a bit more accessible to me. Having more space and being able to keep my own routine, having to not go for breakfast at a certain time and all of that sort of thing. But I don't think there's any kind of magic answer, as I say, settling on your destination and then going, right, where can I look? Where can I Google? Is there any Facebook groups about this particular destination where people who live there will have this knowledge? Mm. What's TripAdvisor saying? What's the hotel's website saying? Have they got pictures and things like that? But crucially confirming in detail with the accommodation exactly what it is they have got either on telephone or email but usually I like to have an email backup so that if something does go wrong you've got written proof of what you've requested then I'll repeat that process for restaurants and bars things to do all of that sort of thing until I've just got a bit of a picture of This actually looks like a viable destination for me to go to. There's plenty to do. There's there's accommodation that works, et cetera. And then it's sort of a case of confirming everything and booking your transit and everything else. Because this is a long and drawn-out process, and it's quite daunting if you haven't done it before. I have actually just created a travel planner, which breaks down my steps into 30 separate steps. So the idea is that you could spend a month spending maybe 10, 15 minutes each day doing one point of research or one point of booking. And by the end of the month, you should have pretty much your trip sort of fully formed. That is available as a downloadable PDF from my website. And anybody who subscribes to my mailing list, which is completely free of charge, will be emailed a copy of that guide. So you'll be able to see in detail how I plan and how that won't be help you plan. I am a subscriber, so
2: everything you send out has been full of really helpful information. Happiest I ever was was visiting new places, and as my disability has gotten significantly worse, this has scared me, especially with airline travel. I've always been very concerned about being on a plane because to go anywhere else, to go to your country takes me almost 11 hours in a plane. And for someone with LR stainless, I dislocate and then I have pots, so I faint a lot, and it becomes traumatic on a flight and I'm always concerned how do you have a wheelchair on a plane if I can't get to the bathroom I mean I use a cane on when I'm on the flight but that's been problematic the aisles are way too small to wheel and
0: it concerns me I don't know much about how it works flying internally in the U.S. but in my experience with so pretty much every flight I've taken on request they have a skinnier wheelchair like they call it an aisle chair that it will down the aisle basically they usually have to be pushed by the flight attendant so you have to request it and they have to push you it's not the most dignified process it's not the most comfortable process but it opens up air travel certainly for me i think aviation is an industry that can definitely do better i know that there are a lot of very hardworking people campaigning for aviation to be more accessible but i also know that it's a long haul it's not something that's going to be solved quickly my worry is that with what the pandemic has done to aviation, this is going to be even lower on the priority list.
2: The best I could hope for is like, hey, you get to get onto the plane first with the small children who are running into my legs. I dislocate by people touching me or by pointing at things. So when someone's small children are running around my canes, um, and they hit my legs. Yeah, that's going to be a long flight. For public transportation, I think that's one of the things that, that even crosses our discussion about travel. It's just our discussion about access and being a disabled person in the world. And here in the Bay Area and in San Francisco, our transportation is horrible for disability. Our bar trains, which is the way that you get around the Bay Area, many of the stops, the wheelchair access doesn't work or the elevators are out of service in various stations. So they'll tell you as you're getting to the station whether the elevator works or not. Often they have human waste in them. It's to the point that I won't travel even in my own area unless someone can drive me. I won't take public transportation. I'm guessing it's better where you are because I know Europe takes their train systems way more seriously than the United States.
0: Yeah, I'm in quite a large town, but in a rural area in the north of England. And we are always far, far behind the cities when it comes to innovation. We have a bus network where I live, which is accessible, but it took a long time for it to be accessible. But it's generally just so infrequent. We're not served well by public transport where we live. Nobody is served well. I travel by train a lot in normal times, particularly for work. And again, it's not perfect. It's a system that really does need an overhaul. But generally it works. I mean, I've become confident enough to travel completely independently by train. We have to request in advance ramp access for the train. It's anywhere between 24 and 48 hours. Now, the official rules will tell you that you don't have to request assistance in advance. And if you arrive, Without requesting it, you will still be assisted and you will still be able to get on the train. But in practice, that doesn't always work. Or you might come across an attendant that isn't very happy that you haven't pre booked your assistance. It depends where in the country you are. My local station are uh, lovely, know me really well, are always like, morning, Carryon. The ramp's down there waiting for you. Go and get yourself a coffee. How's the family? It's lovely. But by the same token, they only have three members of staff on at any one time for a mainline station. So actually, I always request assistance when I'm travelling from there because they're really nice people. They look after me and I don't want to make their jobs any more difficult. I don't want to just sort of turn up and go, it's a oh. You might already have another six bookings to deal with this morning, but I'm here as well. Weather system sometimes fails, even though I've pre-booked. I have had instances where the ramp hasn't arrived to get me off the train, which is certainly not ideal. I have had to rely on strangers literally picking up my wheelchair and carrying me off the train. And then what happens now? Because social distancing, that's not going to be a thing. I'm not going to feel confident enough to let a complete stranger come that close to me and touch my wheelchair and potentially touch me to lift me off the train. So... This is why I'm doing a lot of the work that I'm doing at the moment, because I just feel that so many of us are anxious about what life and travel is going to look like on the other side of this. And there's not a huge amount of information out there to tell us what that might be. I'm no expert by any means, but I just thought somebody needs to share this information. People need and want this information. So if I can try and pull it together and get it out there and help people with it, then that's what I'm going to do. That's so helpful. Is there any place you wouldn't travel to? My husband really wants to try coastal areas in Italy, which I'm apprehensive about. We went to Rome a few years ago. We both really wanted to go to Rome and had them for quite a while. And I was like, I've read all the horror stories and cobbles and is it going to be accessible and what are we going to... And he was like, well, you just book the trip. We will find a way and we will manage. And that, that is how I travel. And I recognise the privilege in that statement. I recognise that not everybody is able to just go, well, I'll work it. Yeah. That is just part of me and who I am and part of the people around me as well. I'm lucky to have a lot of supportive people around me who go, well, let's try and if you struggle, we'll work it out. You know, and actually, Rome was one of the best trips I've ever had in my life. Again, not perfectly accessible. You need a bit of a sense of adventure. You need to be willing to deal with cobblestones. How do you do cobblestones? Please help me. It's called Free Wheel and it clamps onto your footplate. It lifts the two small front wheels above the ground. So, if you, so you've sort of turned your wheelchair into like a three wheeled thing. It's, it's, called. it's got a big surface area. It just deals with cobbles and grass. I think that that much better. You still get a bit of bumps and stuff like that, but it he does he does make it much, much easier. And I did Florin with that wheel on the front and with a power pack on the back of my chair. Price point, they're kind of mid-range. In this country, they're about £400. And I use my free wheel every single day. I've had it for four years. Wow. I've done minimal repairs on it.
2: But this is what's so important about what you're doing, is so many of us with disabilities, we don't see that this is possible until someone shows us it's possible. Now, that
0: is why I do what I do. I... I'm lucky enough to get some hosted trips, to get some sponsored posts and all of that sort of thing. But that's not why I do it. I do it for the emails that I get from people who say, I read this and I booked my first trip in seven years since I became disabled, based on your review. And that honestly makes me cry. I'm like, that is it. I fell into working in travel. I was working on a supermarket checkout and just applying for anything and everything because I was unbelievably bored and I fell into writing through that and I was lucky to be working with people who saw something in me who I didn't that I didn't necessarily see in my 10 year old inexperienced self and it's brought me to where I am today and I adore traveling more than anything else traveling even just to the next town there is a review on my blog where I stayed in a cottage that was 20 miles from where I lived and we had the best weekend we found new accessible walks and it was just lovely so when I talk about travel I'm not necessarily meaning pack a back pack and take on the world but I just think for our mental and physical health travel has enormous benefits and it isn't always easy but it is always worth it and if I can help and support and encourage other people to do that, then, you know, job done. What have do you found is the important part of traveling for yourself? For me, I get broadening horizons a bit. and just getting out of the daily grind. I am an overworker. I am an overdoer. I'm not really good at listening to my body. Going, 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 doing, 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 doing until I completely crash. Travel makes me stop. <laughs> makes me slow down. Makes me put my bloody phone down. For me, it is about getting out of my comfort zone, which is one of the most powerful things I think anybody can do for themselves. It's just to do something that you're not comfortable with. Travel somewhere that you've never been before. Do something that you think you can't do. And I think accessible travel encapsulates all of that because you always start going, oh my God, this is impossible. I can't find a hotel. I can't find the transport. How am I going to get on the plane? Is my wheelchair going to get broken? Am I going to get insurance?" it's like the odds are against you before you even started and when you actually get through all of that and you get there and you are somewhere like on a rooftop hotel bar in Rome overlooking the city and just going we've done it we've got here despite all of that despite (laughs) everything. we have done it nobody else has done it for us and that is an amazing feeling. feeling But I'll go back to, yes, it is a privilege to travel, but travel doesn't have to mean long distance. Travel doesn't have to mean flights and days and weeks. And a day trip to somewhere close, but that you've never been to before, I think gives you just as much benefit. You and I are both having to be very careful
2: during COVID. And I was missing that sense of awe. So we got in a car and I just put the main down and we just drove through the redwoods. It was not standing in the middle of
0: Paris Street at midnight, but it was really amazing. And our worlds have been made so much smaller. Life feels so much smaller. And I used to moan quite a lot about work, travel and commuting and being on trains all of the time and getting home late, but I miss that. I actually miss the independence of just rocking up and getting on the train on my own and trying to work on a laptop while you've got a screaming child sat next to you. I, I miss all of those things.
2: My world didn't change as much as everyone else's, except there's more people in my house. What you're seeing behind me is 90% of my world is this room. Yeah. yeah. And I wanted to talk to you about your backyard. I love that you have this retreat at your own home. And I know, again, we're speaking super privileged here. We both have backyards. We both have like yeah. outdoor space that's fenced and no one else comes in that we don't invite. but. You have yours accessible. That sounds
0: gorgeous. I really recognise the privilege of it because I spent so long without it before I lived in the house. That I do I lived in like a one-bedroomed flat with no outside space at all. We had a freak heatwave at the beginning of our lockdown, and it, and I just want to be outside twenty-four-seven. I just want to be out there and enjoying it and my husband in a former life was a landscape gardener so when we moved into the house he had all these grand plans for the garden because it was his job at the time however and he'd come home and be like can't really be bothered now I've been working all day." (laughs) it took quite a long time probably about four years to get it to the the iteration that we're having (laughs) It was my lockdown retreat. It was my way of being outside in the element. And again, away from technology when life felt even more small. We're still being very careful, for. But at this point, we were completely isolated. Only leaving the house towards. So I was, yeah, I was just living outside for sort of 14, 15 hours a day, only going inside to sleep. I have my little spinny
2: chair that I can sometimes get out to. And I have chickens and I'll just watch my chickens and okay. type and get everything
0: done there. Yeah, I love it. It's made a really big difference. I think I would have really struggled without it. But, you know, again, if somebody said to me, how did you create an accessible garden? Well, we just did our own thing. We just sort of went, well, we could put a ramp there. We could put some low seating in there. I guess one benefit to the fact that it's taken quite so long is that it's evolved as it's gone on. And we've really been able to work out what we need from this garden without kind of doing it all in once and then going, oh, actually, I wish we'd done this. If you're listening to this and you are living
2: in an apartment, I bow down, especially if you have children in a small apartment or pets in a small apartment or you're just going nuts in a small apartment. I bow down. This is incredibly hard for you guys. But if you are looking at how to make your space accessible, Pinterest is my world. And you can go in there and type in universal design. And it's amazing how many ideas they have. It's not just something you have to hire an architect for. There's like a lot of really cool stuff that you can find to make your Just your space around you a little bit more usable. Now, do you want to talk about virtual reality and COVID and
0: travel? So much more online stuff is just so much more accessible now. I've been doing a little bit of work with Airbnb. So Airbnb have launched Airbnb experiences. That's something that they were doing before all this, but they've launched online experiences now. So you can have a cooking lesson with somebody via Zoom or you can do a yoga workout or And they have a certain set of them they launched a couple of weeks ago that are specifically run by disabled homes, so run with accessibility in mind. That just means that you can experience all of this stuff with local experts without leaving your home. We
2: almost went on our trip to London. I ended up booking our spaces to stay on Airbnb specifically because they have sections that told me if my wheelchair was going to work or not in that space. I thought that was so cool. It's like any other site I was looking at to find... A room or a hotel room did not have that
0: feature. The online experience is really interesting and there, there's a few different themes and things going on. They're quite a low price point from what I've seen. One of my absolute favourites. I don't know if this guy thinks I'm his stalker because I recommend his teach channel to everybody. So I really wanted to get into wheelchair yoga. I'd never, ever done it before. I asked for some recommendations on Twitter. The YouTube channel called Adapt to Perform and it's run by a disabled guy called Ben who has had a spinal cord injury, is a personal trainer. He does daily live streamed wheelchair workouts, as in the name, Adapt to Perform. He's always very good at being, right, if you can't do this this way, then just do it this way. Here's an alternative for you. And they've got loads of different workouts on there. I literally have worked out almost every single day in my home purely because of his YouTube channel and I had never ever done anything like that before. I will fit on
2: over to his. Amazing. Well, is there anything I didn't cover that you are just like desperate to make sure it gets
0: out? You mentioned earlier Matt, what changes I've had to make. So at the beginning of the pandemic, I was like, oh my God. I am a travel blogger. What is this going to do to me, to my brand, to my niche? I literally just stepped away. It took a few weeks. Hasn't I well? And then gradually, as restrictions and things started easing, I just thought, there's even more of a need for this information now because disabled people are going to travel again one day and they're going to be even more anxious. They're going to be even more nervous. There's going to be even more that they need to know about. So one of the things that I've done is I've launched an ECM which I'm calling Safe Accessible Travel, and I have interviewed hotels and holiday cottages primarily in the UK there's one in France so that they can tell us what they're putting in place to make their accommodations safer for disabled guests so that's anything from the training they're taking to their cleaning procedures if they've adjusted check-in and check-out times what kind of cleaning products they use in what's open nearby just because I wouldn't book a hotel without having this information. Now, I wouldn't book anywhere without knowing when the last guest was in there, how thoroughly the room was cleaned, what training has the owner had so that they can make sure that I'm safe. And I thought, well, I can't be the only one. I put some tentative stuff on Twitter just saying, does anybody want this or is it just something that my brain's cooked up? And that tweet alone reached 20,000 impressions. So I was like, there's some leverage here. I went through some of the places that I'd stayed at previously and reviewed on the blog and just emailed them and said, look, I've got a list of questions here. If you're wanting to answer them, can you send them back to me more permission on the blog? And we've got two lives so far. So there's one which is wheelchair accessible glamping. so glamorous camping in Wales, in mm. in the Welsh countryside. And then we just published another one, which is log cabin stays in the Derbyshire countryside. And I've got at least another four coming up. So just a way in which I can try and help people at the moment who need this information and who really don't feel confident about travelling again to say, right, okay, you're, you're probably still not going to go anywhere right away, but if and when you do know that this is the sort of thing that people are putting in place to keep you safe, you know, this is happening. And for me personally, it's just meant that I've sort of been able to tick that box and go, yeah, I'm still, I'm still being helpful. I'm still providing information The useful. Well.
2: I will say what you're doing is so important. And everything you're talking about for travel also applies for public transportation. It applies for us just moving in our little world. And it's important to realize you could still get away safely, just the town over. So thank you so much for everything you're doing. I really hope you are a reoccurring guest. I would love to have you on. I still have like half my questions. I know if I start any of them, we'll talk for another hour. Honestly, anytime
1: at all. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about today's episode, including show notes, transcripts, and more, please visit InvisibleNotBroken.com. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also support the show by heading over to our Patreon or by sharing these episodes. We are non-advertising, so our growth is thanks to you, listeners. Thank you to our host, Monica, and our guest, Carrie Ann. This episode was edited by me, Alice Fan. Last but not least, be kind, be gentle, and be badass.